This morning, I want to begin by asking a question. Um, How can you and I, in this post-Christian society that we find ourselves in, how can you and I have hope? How can we have steadfast hope in the day we live in? And, And I believe the answer to that is found here in Acts chapter 9 as we look at the conversion experience of the apostle Paul. Here he is referred to as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, and later we'll know him as Paul. Um, And so if you're here today and you hear Saul and Paul and you're like, what in the world are we doing here? Uh, That's what happens. Later Saul gets his, his name changed. So I will probably interchange those often. And so today I want us to think about how can we have hope and I believe in this text, we, we see it, we get it. Here we see the great display of God's mercy, a showing of his perfect patience in this sudden, unexpected conversion of this man, Saul. It changes him and it will ultimately change his lives forever that he will impact. As he has written most of the New Testament as well, many letters but we, have seen today, we will see today that Saul's conversion is this, and we'll see this especially toward the end, that his conversion is for the sake of the church. It's for you and I that we would have hope in God. And here's how we're to hope. Here's the hope that we're to have, that God can change sinners. Just as he has changed many of us in here today, he can take the worst the chief, that's what Paul calls himself, the foremost of sinners, those who oppose the church, and he can now take them, save them, and use them as instruments for his kingdom. That's what God can do. He can take the worst of the worst and change them. And that should encourage you and I, especially in the day when we live in, when often it seems the church is bemoaning and criticizing the world. And many times, rightfully so, we could say we have a right to do that or we have reason to do that. But I would encourage us today to not get stuck in that. The world is going to be the world just like Saul is Saul. But you and I should be hopeful. We should be focused on the mission of Christ. That's where our hope lies. And today I pray That's what we see, that God can take people and change them. He can change them. And he did that with Saul. And it should cause you and I to be hopeful in God's amazing grace. And so today, let's journey through this text. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. And look at this man, Saul, and his mission of hate. In verse 1, it says, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We've seen over the last few weeks, if we've been journeying through this letter of Acts, we have seen that the persecution in Jerusalem was on the rise after the martyrdom of Stephen. And who was standing when uh, Stephen was getting stoned? Who was standing there holding the coats of those who were stoning Stephen? It was Saul. And you remember Luke 
pens that. He writes that down there. And, and Saul began his persecution against the church. Saul, who we will know later as Paul, was filled with this desire, Luke says here, to threaten and slaughter Christians. Literally, it was the air that he breathed. And that's what Luke has in mind here where he says that he was still breathing threats and murder. A.T. Robertson says this about this phrase here, that Saul breathing threats and murder means that, he, that threatening and slaughter had come to be the very breath that Saul breathed, like a war horse who sniffed the smell of battle. That was Saul. He breathed on the remaining disciples the murder that he had already breathed in from the death of others. He exhaled, or excuse me, he exhaled what he inhaled. This man was crafty. He was wild. He ravaged the church. In fact, later, um, he will refer to himself as the foremost of sinners, literally the chief of sinners, in the sense he was because he was tearing down the very work of God. Some of us might think, well, I know or have heard of other people more uh, sinful or more wild sins or whatever, more evil than Saul. But Saul was the chief of sinners. At least that's how he saw himself because he literally was active in tearing down the work of God. Now, all of us in here at some point in our life were in opposition with God, just like Saul, in the sense that we opposed God, whether it was we, we um, ignored him, um, strayed from him, didn't want to have anything to do with him. All of us were at some point far off like Saul was. But Saul was active in trying to bring the church down. He sought men and women who belonged to the way. What, what is that a reference to? The way was the idea that those who belong to Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. And so it, yet to be called Christians, they were those who belonged to the way. And it was Saul's effort to destroy them. And so who was this man? We're told in Philippians chapter 3, 5 through 6, he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning he was the best of Jews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, he was found blameless. And so what do we know about this man? He was very religious. And he thought, he believed he was serving God and doing what he was doing. But he was enraged. He was enraged at anyone who believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He believed literally that Christianity was a rebellion that must be extinguished and that meant every Christian needs to be exterminated. That was Saul. But I want you to realize he believed what he was doing in his own eyes, as right. But look what happens. Look what happens. We're familiar probably with this if you've been in church before. But look what happens in verse 3. It says, as he was traveling. And so he gets this permission from the high priest to go to Damascus. He gets the papers of support that he needs to go bring back men and women who are of the way back to Damascus. And so he's traveling. It happened that he was approaching Damascus. Now, Damascus is um, a city that 
uh, heavily populated with Jews, but what had happened is Christians had scattered. We saw that last week. They had scattered to Samaria, Judea, and they had even scattered to Damascus after the stoning of Stephen. And Damascus was some six days of travel if you were traveling by foot, a pretty long distance. And so here Saul starts his journey. And it tells us here that as he was approaching Damascus in verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice. Paul tells us later in Acts 22 verse 6 as he's recounting the events of this day that he was approaching Damascus around noontime. And so this is midday. This, this is probably when the, the sun is out. And he says a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around him. Now what does that mean for a devout Jew if you see a light like from heaven like Saul does on this day and you hear a voice? There's a Good chance, this is God, right? I mean, in their theology, in the Old Testament, with the likes of Moses and others, this would mean this is God. And so it causes him to fall to the ground. It's the voice of God, but it surprises Saul. Why does it surprise Saul? Look at the words that comes from the voice in verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. This voice asks Saul that, and then Saul responds in verse 5, who are you, Lord? And so this reference to Lord here, he doesn't know exactly who this is yet, but he recognizes this is deity. This is deity. But remember, Saul thought he was defending God. He thought he thought he was defending God's laws. He didn't think he was going against God. So this idea of why are you persecuting me definitely, surely struck him. So Saul wants to know, who is this? Who is this who is saying that I am persecuting him? And so we get the answer to that in verse 5. The voice says back to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, Saul. But get up and enter the city, and then it will be told you what you must do. This light, this voice, is literally the appearance of Jesus. That's what Paul will say later in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He will say that last of all, Jesus appeared to me. And here on the road to Damascus, that's what we see. And so Jesus gives Saul instructions to go into Damascus to receive further instructions on what he is to do in response to what has happened. And so let's just stop for a second. This is amazing. This should cause us to go, wow. Jesus appears to Saul. Jesus, the risen Lord, Jesus who has ascended to heaven here on this day with light and voice appears to Saul, he falls to the ground. And what's amazing about this is he tells him to now go to the city, go to Damascus, continue the journey, and there you will be told what you must do. And then look what happens in verse 7. He is going to listen immediately, Saul is. He's going to obey Jesus, who he has opposed, who he has been against. He is immediately now going to follow him. 
And so look what happens in verse seven. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Could you imagine that? Being the traveling companions of Saul, and all of a sudden you're struck by hearing this voice to a point that you're unable to speak due to fear or maybe amazement or the mingling of both, whatever the case, these men were taken back by this. But here on this day, they become the witnesses of something great, the life-changing experience of Saul. And so what does Saul do? He, he listens. He, he listens in verse 8 through 9. It says, Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. And leading him by the hand, they brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Saul gets up. He was blind. He couldn't see. Many believe that what God was doing here was showing Saul his spiritual blindness. He was giving Saul a, a, a physical experience of where his soul had been and what it is like to walk without Jesus as your Messiah, to walk without Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're blind. You can't see. And Saul couldn't see. Saul couldn't see. He thought he was doing what was right. He thought he was being super religious. He thought he was getting rid of the rebellion, all for God. And Jesus shows him in this moment Saul, you're blind. The Bible tells us that that's all of our condition. Outside of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us, in fact, Paul speaks of the depth of our depravity without Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, he says, you were dead in your trespasses. Good as dead. And sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Do you see these words by Paul as he thinks through the, the depravity, his, his own sin? He realizes that he was walking according to the course of the power of this world, which is the enemy. And he says of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Paul knew I was being disobedient. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who Saul was. That's who we all are outside of Christ. And so Jesus gives them a physical taste of the spiritual blindness that's been so evident in this one who has ravaged the church. But here in this moment, Jesus rattles him. He gets up and his companions take him, begin to take him into Damascus. Can you stop for a moment? Just think about this. I don't know how much longer the journey was from the point of this experience and encounter with Jesus to Damascus, but can you imagine the conversation? Can you imagine what they're talking about as they're helping Saul along, this man who was so full of pride, now broken. This man who was once ruthless is now helpless. And he's taken to Damascus. And look what happens in verse 10 through 12. Now there was a disciple 
There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Jesus comes to Ananias, not like he did Saul, but in a vision, he comes to Ananias and he tells Ananias in very much a GPS type of form and says, listen, Ananias, and Ananias is all in and listening to the Lord. Here I am, here I am. He tells Ananias, I want you to go specifically to this street, to this person's house, and then you're gonna find a man here. Ananias is good up until that point, right? I mean, he's good. He's good with listening to the Lord and said, yeah, okay, Lord, I'm here. What, what do you need me to do? What do you need me to do? But go see who? Saul. I, I want you to go see Saul. And he's praying there, and he's seeing a vision of you coming to him. I mean, can you imagine this? Receiving this news from God himself, from Jesus? And I'm sure Ananias is like, hold the boat, dude. Hold the boat. I mean, I think we all would have some reluctancy here, some reservation, no doubt, no doubt, and rightfully so. So that's why Ananias says what he does next. Look at verse 13 through 14. He answers the Lord, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. You see, Saul's reputation had preceded him. It had followed him. Word had gotten all over the region. And even word had reached of why he was coming to Damascus. That he had gotten permission to go, come and bind up believers and take them back. And so Ananias knew of Saul. He knew his reputation. But look what happens in verse 15, 16. Here Jesus says, this is why I'm sending you to him. This is why. But the Lord said back to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I love this. Jesus tells Ananias, Saul is gonna go from being an instrument of trying to ravage and destroy the church. Now he's going to be an instrument, not of the enemy any longer, but instead he's going to be an uh, instrument for me. He's going to bear my name to Jews. He's going to bear my name to Gentiles. And that's where the theme has kind of been going in Acts, right? I mean, we've seen that. As the gospel has been presented to Jews, now the gospel also now presenting to Gentiles. We saw last week with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now next week we'll see, or soon after next week, we'll see Cornelius being ministered to. Now the word being taken to Gentiles. Here it's being taken to Gentiles as well. And who's going to be God's instrument? It's going to be Saul. It's going to be Saul. His chosen instrument. And he will suffer for the name of Christ. And so Let's just pause for a second. Can we think through this? Ananias gets called to Saul. Very shocking for him. Have you ever thought about this? And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you're like 
you're Ananias and you get this. You're like, oh, I get this. We never know who God might call us to. We never know whom God might call us to minister to, to, to reach out to through the flow of the week, unplanned, unexpected, suddenly. We never know who, who God might call us to disciple. It might be somebody that's completely different from us, totally different. Someone that, that has a past or a streak in their, their history and, and, and we know about it, yet God is saying, I want you to go to them. I want you to take the word to them. I want you to reach out to them. Ananias obeyed. He simply was a, here I am, man. <laughs> God, here I am. Send me. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be Ananias, where we, we are open to him, we're available to him, and we're willing to go not just anywhere, but to anyone. To anyone. And that's what he does with Ananias. And that's what he wants to do with you and I. He wants us to be open, to reach out, and to disciple even the hardest of people. And so what that means is we, we might have a neighbor that, man, maybe we just flat out, we, don't, we can be honest, we, we don't like them. We don't like them. God never said, hey, go and make disciples of people you like, right? <laughs> he didn't say that to Ananias. Go and make disciples of people that they, they almost have it figured out. They're almost there. No, man, a lot of times he calls us to go and make disciples, go and reach out, go evangelize people that don't even have a clue, that maybe are so far off, just like Saul was. And that's what he does with Ananias. And he wants us to have that open heart, that open heart to simply obey. And that's what Ananias does. Look at verse 17 through 19. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. This is interesting from verse 13 and 14. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there, fr- there fell excuse me, from his eyes something like scales. He regained his sight and he got up and was baptized and he took food and was strengthened. Ananias obeys. He recognizes Saul's conversion, calling him brother, as Jesus had confirmed to him. And then he's straight to the point. He's brief. We don't know how long this conversation goes. Luke pins it down and just simply says that he tells Saul, Jesus appeared to you. Jesus has sent me, and Jesus is going to give your sight back, and Jesus will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And so it was, as his sight is regained, And what a beautiful picture of what Jesus does as he removes his spiritual blindness as a physical expression of that. And that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to remove our spiritual blindness so we can see the true light of who he is. And as a result, Saul, now Paul, has this beautiful testimony. What's that testimony? Let me, let me just give you four verses. I could give you a lot. In fact, we could sit and read the majority of the New Testament, but 
We won't do that. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the words of Paul explaining what has happened to him, listen to this. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's what's happened here. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he, speaking of God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul thought, Saul thought he could do it on his own. He thought according to the law, he was righteous and blameless. But God changed his mind and showed him that the only true righteousness can be found in Jesus Christ alone. And he became sin on our behalf so that we could be right with God. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's his testimony. And lastly, in Romans 8, 38 through 39, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was now his testimony. A little boy one Sunday morning was asked by his teacher to share and explain his part in being saved. She asked the boy, what, what is your part that you played in being saved? And so the little boy responded that his conversion had been partly God's work and partly his own. An astounded and rather nervous teacher inquired about this strange answer. And then the boy replied and said, teacher, I opposed God all that I could. And then he came and he did the rest. Think about that. I opposed God all that I could and he came and then he did the rest. Such was the experience of Saul. I've heard the testimonies of many before who will say about their experience in coming to Jesus that I came kicking and screaming. Some of us in here would say, that's mine. I came kicking and screaming. You see, God does a beautiful work. That's why we sing a song called Amazing Grace, because that's what it is here. It is amazing grace. And as we close, I want us to do this, and the text is going to be on the screen, but, but I want you to be encouraged I want you to have hope for today. I want you to leave here today and I want you to be so filled with hope. And, and here's why. Look, look at 1 Timothy. It's up on the screen. Chapter 1, 15 through 16. I, I want you to listen to these words of Paul because this is how Paul saw his story impacting you and I even this very day. He says this, he says, it's a trustworthy statement as he tells his dear brother Timothy. It deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Jesus came. He came to save sinners. And then he says, among whom I am foremost of all, yet for this reason 
He says, I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate, might show, might put on display his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, my conversion story, in fact, I think it's why he repeated it so often. In fact, Luke writes it down three times in the book of Acts. And no telling how often Saul told his story. But Paul here says, I want you to know this, that my conversion story is to encourage you today. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to use Paul's story today to speak to us. He wants it to be a story of hope. You see, Paul knew the depth of his depravity. He knew the depth of his sin. Do you know the depth of your sin this morning? Do you know how you might be opposing God this morning? Do you know? He came to the reality of his blindness. He came face to face with that on the road of Damascus. And at the same time, he came face to face with the depth and the reality of God's mercy that reached out to him who was tearing down, destroying, ravaging the church. And maybe there's someone here today that your sin, maybe your ravaging and destroying your life. Maybe you're destroying your family. Maybe you don't even know it. Maybe you think in your own eyes you're doing what is right. And Saul's message today is to say, let Jesus take the scales off. Let Jesus relieve you of your blindness forever. And then let his perfect patience come in. Just as it did to me, Paul would say, and let it change you. And that right there should be hope for all of us in here. No matter where we're at this morning, that should be hope to you and I. Because, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, with all the media and all the stuff that, that just gets thrown at us and we hear, whether it's online or what's on the news, I mean, every little outlet, everything that gets tossed at us is going against the liberties that we celebrate on a weekend like this, but going against the things that we hold dear, our beliefs, whether it's uh, uh, in creation, whether it's in who God has created us to be, and we hear things from uh, even the highest courts of the land, from like support, uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, justices who will say things like, uh, even our existence, we, we have liberty, we have freedom here in this country to, to be who we want to be, to exist basically who we, who we want to be and what we want to be. That that's what our freedoms are for. That our freedom somehow is a country that we can go in and, and, and just remove God from the picture and just be who we want to be. And we hear all these things just being exposed to us every day. And as Christians, we're tempted to do what a lot of times? Bemoan and, and criticize the world. And I love the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, he, he got this. He understood this because he knew his story. He, he knew his story. He says, listen, he says, can, can you judge outsiders? He says, you're, you're to judge the church. You, you, the world is going to be the world. 
It's going to be the world. Now, does that mean we just sit by and we're just passive and, and we don't take stands and, and, and we don't have, um, maybe in our conscience, we don't protest things and, and, and say, no, we're, we're going to choose not to do those things and we're going to choose not to support those things? Yeah, I mean, we definitely take a stand for righteousness. We do that. But too many times what happens, and I think this is where we get encouragement this morning with Paul's story, is this, that, that we get caught in bemoaning and criticizing and then we're paralyzed. And what are we paralyzed to? The mission of why Jesus came, because Paul said Jesus came to save sinners. And we lose sight of that sometimes. We lose sight of that. Jesus came to save the world. He came to save Saul's of the world. And so what does that mean today? I mean, Jesus could come and he could save the leader of Planned Parenthood. He could come and do that. He could come and save the hardest of criminals. He could come and save the hardest of terrorists in our day. He could do that. And so what is that, where does that leave you and I? It leaves us hopeful. I think that's the point. I think that's the point. It leaves you and I hopeful. And I think that's why Paul says what he does here. He says, Jesus' mercy, his perfect patience is an example to those who believe in eternal life. It's for you so that you don't lose hope. So church, don't lose hope. Because guess what? Jesus is still saving sinners today. And he wants to use you and I as instruments to not give up on our neighbors to not give up on praying for our neighbors. He wants to use you and I to not give up on praying on that family member who you're like, there's not a chance. <laughs> there's not a chance. But guess what? <laughs> I think the story today, Saul, Saul, Paul would say this, oh, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a chance. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. Don't stop asking. Because guess what? Jesus is still saving sinners. So church, be hopeful today. If you're here today, and maybe God's awakened your heart, maybe he's opened your eyes through the word today. That's what he does. And you've realized, you know what? My life's not what it should be. I'm opposing God. And today, I, I want to encourage you this is what Paul would say. He says in Romans 10, he says, confess. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe in his death and believe that he can save you, that he will forgive you of your sins and take all your sin, all of it, and he will cleanse you from that and he will give you eternal life because of his death his resurrection, he will do that. Believe that. Believe that today. Let's pray.